Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports concerts, all types of shows. Me, I like the two tap feature, really easy, just easy checkout. You don't have to spend a lot of time there filling stuff out. You're, you're done and you're, you got your tickets and you're ready to go. Well, now GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on my ticket section of the app create an account then under the billing section redeem code the athletic that's t-h-e athletic a-t-h-l-e-t-i-c once again that's the athletic all one word for ten dollars off your first purchase that's free money people credit is only available to the first one thousand people who redeem the code it expires at the end of the year that's december 31st 2019 so make moves quick and score last minute tickets Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, joined by Calvin Harris, our friend and three-time national champion from the Miami Hurricanes. We have also got my producer, Mike Zimmerman, here. One of the more anticipated podcasts we're going to do because there's been so much news just in the last 48 hours as we record this Tuesday afternoon, December 31st. Happy New Year to you listeners, whenever you get a chance to tune in. We know that uh, news could change quickly, so bear with us and take note of when we're recording this. Uh, Number one, guys, the big story, obviously, is Manny Diaz coming out yesterday and saying they're going to go to the spread offense. He's looking for an OC who can raise the level of tempo and score more points, etc. We also heard about uh, the creation of a chief of staff position at UM. A lot of people are interested to see what happens with Alonzo Highsmith, as we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, Highsmith is a guy who obviously loves the University of Miami, cares about it deeply, but he's got an NFL job, and we're going to discuss on this podcast why it is that uh, it's probably not going to work out with UM. Um, Lastly, uh, Lorenzo Lingard, the five-star running back, announced yesterday he's entering the transfer portal. Um, I know Miami fans are broken up about that, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's start off with this Alonzo Highsmith story because, number one, I think that's got the most interest. Um, Mike, I'm going to let you come on and and sort of ask your questions, and then uh, Kelvin and I can sort of answer them. All right. So so the the first few that I have uh, about this whole Alonzo Highsmith is how serious is the interest on both sides? Will there be... Would Alonzo Highsmith or whoever the chief of staff, if they do end up hiring one, would they have enough power to hire and fire coaches? You know, what kind of responsibilities they have? And are they willing to, is Blake James willing to give over that power? Because essentially that means that he's he's given up on Manny Diaz and is he trying to save face from that decision? So I guess those are the few questions that I have surrounding this whole story. And I want to hear your thoughts. Well, Calvin, I'm going to let you go first because as a guy who talks to former players and has a good feeling for kind of what goes on in the business of coaching, etc., why don't you give your opinion first and I'll follow up. 
Yeah, okay. Um first of all, someone put this I'm in one I'm in a bunch of these fan groups. They put me in these fan groups and uh somebody asked this question last night. I was checking my notifications and somebody brought this up. Todd Stroud was actually chief of staff before Simpson left. So technically there I guess there is a chief of staff position there. Um but it's not filled. And Florida State just hired a chief of staff. Norville brought a guy in from the pros. But that guy is not going to be hiring or firing any coaches. And like I said before, I don't see a um, a college coach ever agreeing to have someone Tell them who to hire and fire and how to recruit. It's just that just isn't how it works. Because if you're going to pay a guy $4 million and he doesn't, first of all, he don't want the job. If it, this isn't the pros, you know, um, you know, I saw somebody on my Twitter feed saying, well, technically Urban Meyer is associate AD. And Urban Meyer is associate AD because they're just trying to give him a check for his services. Ryan Day runs the football program. And honestly, if they feel that way about Manny, then they need to fire him because, the, you know, let's just say it doesn't work out and Alonzo has got this mythical position and he fires, um, he fires Manny. And then they want to bring Mario in. Well, guess what? Mario ain't coming here if he can't make all the decisions. No coach is coming here if they can't make any decisions. It just don't work that way. I mean, you know, the delusion is getting out of hand. The reality is, Manny's going to make some changes, or has already made some changes. If these changes don't work, this time next year, we'll be doing this podcast trying to figure out who the candidates for the job are because he won't be the coach. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this is about power and what kind of power the chief of staff would have. And I think in this case, you know, I know Gary Furman at Kane Sport and Barry Jackson from the Miami Herald have been sort of talking about this chief of staff position and overseer of the football program. And Blake James went on the radio yesterday and acknowledged that Manny Diaz has basically wanted one for a year. But we need to sort of separate what the idea of chief of staff and overseer of the program really is, uh, because I think, you know, the the West, the way it is in, in college football, and I asked all of our college football beat writers at The Athletic yesterday, hey, how many of you guys know of chief of staffs at other schools? What do they do, et cetera? I'm going to give you some of the answers, okay, that I got uh, from different people. Chris Vanini, who is one of our main college football writers um, said that Norville just hired one, obviously at FSU um, SMU promoted their ops guy to chief of staff. Dana Holgerson had one at West Virginia, did a lot of administrative work, oversaw things like the equipment team, video staff, recruiting staff, NFL scouts, daily schedules. Uh, Penn state has one. Uh, Mike Leach at Washington state has one. Washington has one as well. Uh, Arizona State has one. 
um, you know, a lot of these type of positions ultimately are to handle duties that the head coach can't get to or wants to sort of give to somebody else as the head coach. But you're right, Kelvin, this is all about power. And ultimately, you know, the chief of staff doesn't have a lot at the majority of these programs. The athletic director still handles who's hired and fired. And the head coach kind of works hand in hand with the athletic director. And there really isn't an overseer of the football program. It's the athletic director. So this position really does not fit Alonzo Highsmith. Kelvin, I mean, you were telling me yesterday, he makes a lot of money for the Cleveland Browns. I think he's second or third in power in terms of running the organization. This is a huge step down to basically come and be Manny Diaz's assistant. So that's why he's not going to take this job. I think the only way he would is if he was fired by the Cleveland Browns and had no choice but to take that job. Yeah, I agree because uh, he gets a nice little piece of change. Um, and, you know, in a, in a whole different realm of looking at this, Alonzo Highsmith is one of the few African-Americans at the level that he's at. And the next step for him is to be a GM. He has all of the qualifications to be one of 32 guys to have that position. To come to UM and take that position, I just, it I don't know. Honestly, it doesn't make sense to me because I, I think highly of Alonzo as a person and as a football talent evaluator and someone who could run a pro football franchise. Um, the way college football works, like you said, actually, I think one of the reasons why Manny wants a chief of staff is that it frees him up to be more integral into the football aspect of yep. being a football coach, meaning that, you know, he can pay a little bit more attention to the defense, uh, help Blake James out, uh, spend more time on X's and O's and, and schemes, maybe even pay a little bit more attention to the offense with the new coordinator, um, giving some, um, giving some insight from a defensive standpoint, because I've always thought, I thought the one mistake Randy made, is that everyone told him he can't call the plays and run the defense because there's so much stuff you got to do as a head coach. But if he'd have had a chief of staff that could have took some of the, the 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 trivial stuff off of his plate, I really believe he could have because he basically called the he basically ran the defense any damn way. Um, he could have you know been all the way into it, you know. And I think that's why Manny wants to keep his staff. Mike, now that you've heard that sort of explanation from Kelvin and myself, what are your thoughts? So I, I, I guess I've got another question for you guys is sort of don't they need somebody for a chief of staff to bring structure, to bring some some authority? Because, because whatever Manny's doing, I know it's only been one year, but – there haven't been improvements, at least from what we've seen. Maybe behind the scenes there are when it comes to you know, you know, culture. But it certainly seems like there needs to be some structure, whether it's at the football program level or even the administration level. And I think somebody with authority, 
um, in between both the the staff and the administration with some power. Can't that be nothing but good? Well, I mean, here's what I would say to that. I think, number one, Blake James is not going to give up power in terms of being the decision maker in the athletic department. And if he does, it's only going to be in the sense of, you know, Manny Diaz is in charge of the football team. And if the football team sucks, well, we got to fire Manny Diaz. So there already is sort of power designated to Manny Diaz to run the football football department. Now it becomes an issue of, well, does Manny need help? And is he willing to give up some of his power as far as football coach? I don't think there's going to be a created position where all of a sudden Alonzo Highsmith is sort of overlooking Manny Diaz and has the authority to fire him or assistant coaches. I mean, there's just too many chefs in the kitchen. And as Kelvin said, no other college football coach is going to go for that system. Um, It's just another boss that they have to deal with. So in the end, uh, this is about power and Manny Diaz isn't going to give any of it up. He is going to look for somebody to help him do his job, but he's not going to give up any power. And the way I look at this, it's it's just not going to happen with Alonzo Highsmith. There's other guys out there who can do a lot of the administrative jobs, but they won't bring what Alonzo brings, which is a vast f- football knowledge, talent evaluation, um, things that this program really needs, in my opinion. And... Until the University of Miami and other college football programs are sort of willing to restructure what's traditionally been the system, an athletic director and a head coach, to an athletic director, a general manager and a head coach, which is what the NFL has. I mean, I just don't see this happening. And, you know, it's 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 funny because obviously we got a lot to talk about between now and the season opener against Temple. And I feel like a lot of this is Blake James and Manny Diaz appeasing the fan base who is obviously up in arms about six and seven and a terrible season. And as I mentioned, you know, Gary Furman at Kane sport, Barry Jackson, two guys who obviously want to see this program do well. Um, you know, they're, they've been talking about this and all the changes that need to be made. And this is how we fix UM. Well, <laughs> it's just funny to me that Manny comes out, on the radio yesterday, Blake James comes out a few hours later and they're basically saying, hey, we're going to do everything you guys want. And it's to me, it's a lot of placating the fan base. But the reality is um, they're, they're going to be judged on what the record of next season is. And both of them could be out of a job if this team still sucks. You, you know what? If I were them, if, if it was me, I would basically double down on my situation. I would say, all right, you know what? Hey, can I curse on this thing? Yes. I would say, fuck the fans. I would spend my time trying to win those first four games, getting my team prepared. If I had to kick somebody off the team, first of all, I'll say this. The first three people I kick off are 15, 18, and 5. And then I would go try and find a grad transfer. And then if not, I would roll with Tyler Van Dyke. I would play field possession football and lean on my defense. And I would guarantee you we would be more successful than people think. And the reason why I say I would worry about those first four games is if we start out 4-0, and I don't care what these fans are saying. They'll be back. Because personally, I would say to myself, 
I would expect them not to show up. And when they don't show up and we win, they'll come back. And when they come back, you know, I'm not listening to them. Because when you start letting the tail wag the dog, you're basically putting yourself in a bad situation where you're going you're gonna to end up getting the guillotine anyway. So if you're going to go down, go down doing it your way. Now, you know, I like the fact that, you know, they came to a conclusion that it didn't work. But all this teeter-tottering with the fans, hey, look, we had a bad season. It's the first year. We had a young O-line. We have no leadership at quarterback. I think they need to be concentrating more on getting the offense right. You know, and I know they're out there recruiting. You know, I talk to DVD from time to time, and they are they are all about getting that turned around with the right a group of players. But this this whole talk of a chief of staff is just some bogus bullshit. It's just a waste of time. I mean, I'm pretty sure Manny's getting calls from other coaches. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Because you know, if you have to bring in a guy to tell your head coach who to hire and who to recruit. He doesn't need to be your head coach. And I'm going to say this again. If the fans get their way and let's just say they do fire Manny and they bring in Mario, I promise you, Alonzo ain't telling Mario what to do. Then what? Nope. Then what? You know, I, I just don't see Alonzo leaving the job unless he is forced to. Right. And I said that on the previous podcast, I believe, Mike, didn't I? Yeah, I believe so. You know, we were, we were also talking about this off air, too. You were saying that, you know, unless he is fired from Cleveland, which, you know, who knows at this point, because the Browns seem to be in disarray and they seem to be making changes. But there's no reason for him to leave his current position than for the U.M. position. It would certainly be a downgrade. Yep. And uh, ultimately, you know, the last thing I want to say about this is just, you know, I think Kelvin's right. Um, Miami has such huge problems in terms of offensive coordinator and what to do with their position coaches and how do they get this thing right, recruiting, all that. Um, I, I really think this is a distraction more than anything else. It gets us all hot and bothered and, hey, who's going to come in and fix this program? I think, you know, Miami sort of approached this from an angle of, hey, um, yeah, let's hire a chief of staff, but he's not really going to have any power and let the fan base believe what they want to believe. And the reality is the fan base wants Manny out and they want Blake James out and they want a new athletic director and they want a new head coach. And so um, it's just a, a giant waste of time, in my opinion. Whoever is hired as chief of staff is not going to have power at Miami. And ultimately, if Alonzo Highsmith comes to Miami, it's to be the athletic director, nothing else. Well, let, let me ask you this about Blake James then. Do you have confidence in him that he's going to make the right decision for whether it's offense coordinator or chief of staff? Has he proven that, that he, he's able to make these these smart hires and the right decisions? Uh, Blake's not a football guy. I mean, he's a guy who grew up on the administrative side raising money. He's a fundraiser. Um, you know, athletic programs need fundraisers, but they also need guys that know what they're doing when it comes to the sports programs. And so ultimately... His entire fate is going to be tied to the fact that he had a five-hour coaching search before he picked Manny Diaz to replace Mark Richt. And he came out and he said, I didn't look at anybody else. I went straight to Manny Diaz. And in the end, 
if Manny's a failure, that's going to haunt him, and he's probably going to lose his job because of it. Now, could Manny be a great head coach at Miami one day? I think he's got the potential to be a great head coach one day. But I've said on this podcast, on radio shows many times, this job is not for a rookie. It is for a Jedi master. I mean, that Star Wars movie just came out, so I'm going to use the Star Wars reference. It is for a Jedi master, and Manny Diaz is learning some hard lessons as a rookie head coach. Now, he messed up with the offensive coordinator. Didn't work. And I want to sort of transition to that topic now because we spent a lot of time talking about Alonzo Mourning and this and this chief of staff job. Um. Dan Enos was fired not only because he couldn't get the offense going, but because the players hated him. It really got nasty, and I got to say, I think Dan hated the players too. He really didn't like the attitude that his quarterbacks were showing him, particularly Jaron Williams. Things got contentious, and ultimately, Manny had no choice. You know, He couldn't get those offensive players to listen to Dan and play for Dan. And Kelvin, I want you to sort of add your thoughts to this, but... Whoever Manny hires as his next offense coordinator, I don't even care what system he runs. I don't think anybody does. I mean, I know everybody's sitting here saying it has to be spread. The number one problem the offensive coordinator is going to have, and I'll say this quite bluntly, is getting these players to understand what the hell they're doing. And I think a lot of them do not. They do not have a great grasp of the playbook. That's ultimately what happened with Enos. He had a big playbook, lots of NFL concepts, and a lot of his receivers, to me, didn't look like they knew what they were doing. And so that's why this offense failed. And if you go back and you look at the Mark Richt era, what was it that Mark kept telling us last season? Well, I'm simplifying the playbook. I'm trying to get these guys just to get one play right. Miami has an intelligence issue on this football team. And with this particular recruiting class that's coming in, that's I've met a lot of these guys. There are some smart football players that Miami signed that are, to me, going to come in and move right past some of the older guys in front of them because they're smarter people. And when you play college football and you play at the highest level of football, if you don't know what you're doing, you look slow. You don't create separation. You don't make big plays. And that's what's been lacking on this football team is talent in terms of intelligence and how it's applicated to the play calls. And I think they've done a good job with this recruiting class, bringing in some smart football players. And I fully expect to see a ton of fresh playing because they're going to be the smartest guys in the room. Yeah, I agree. Look, let's just keep it real. I'm going to offend some people what I'm about to say, but it's reality. We got Dade County receivers who've been coached by Dade County coaches, who run basic, simple-ass offenses. Dan Enos came in with a West Coast terminology. Um, they didn't pick it up. The thing I got to get on him about was, at some point, you, you, you got to change. I mean, somebody, another, uh, another guy in the coaching system brought this up to me. He said, Dan Enos came in here with Alabama expectations for our players. And our players don't have Alabama type. What's the word I'm looking for? They don't have the Alabama type mentality. 
And what I mean is, one of the things I was hearing is he got on the guys. Manny, you were at practice. He yells at the guys from time to time. Well, Nick Saban yells at his players. Their coaches get on their players. Our players are softer than baby doo-doo. Uh, and the parents are help are are, 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 are more making this shit bad. You know, we got this entitlement because I'm from Dade County and I'm a four or five star guy. Uh, you know, you can't talk to me like that. Well, if you can't get off the fucking jam and you can't create separation and you can't remember the plays, you're going to upset some people. So, you know, I had to hear this bullshit from FIU all season long, not not after the game, but during the game, uh, excuse me, before the game, about how soft we look on offense. And I couldn't defend it. And then the more and more I, I, I got into it, and I, you know, the one thing I said about the young linemen, they're trying, they're going to get better. I'm more concerned about the guys, the quarterback. First of all, your quarterback missing fucking curfew the night before a game to go out and do God knows what. Um, I see why this guy wanted out or and why it didn't work. You know, we have no leadership at the quarterback position and we don't have anybody at the skill position that can get fucking open. I'm hoping that Michael Redding and Warsham and Restrepo beat all the motherfuckers out because they fucking suck right now. And it's embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? It is damn embarrassing. You know, that you want to play fucking Fortnite and goddamn Call of Duty instead of play getting in the playbook and learning this shit. And then the fucked up part about it is you don't want to learn this offense, but when you get to the league, 40% of the league run this shit. So you're going to get cut. I, I know you're frustrated, man. <laughs> um, but it's the reality. And, and, and Mike, I'm going to kick it back to you because I'm sure you've got questions about the OC job, but hearing what Kelvin and I said, your reaction to it. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I think I tweeted this out probably, I think, during the bowl game. It was that you you watch the, you watch them play, and it's like they don't care. They don't want to be there. They'd rather be somewhere else. And it's almost like I, I hate throwing it back to the glory days and comparing it back to the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. But could you ever imagine a single player playing with that kind of effort? No, because you have other players on the team who would be responsible for whipping them into shape for getting their minds right and you just don't see that anymore you don't have any leaders besides you know guys like dj dallas and, and shaq quarterman and, and mike pinckney but they can only do so much if nobody else follows and listens then there's only so much those leaders can do it, it's it's a different culture now and and i think a lot of it has to do with the they're they're very soft they're very emotional they're very they, you know They've got other things on their mind, like playing Fortnite and, and you know, socializing and not focusing on football. And I think that's that's a big key where whoever is in charge, whether it's Manny Diaz, whether it's whomever, they need to get the right focus with this team and they need to be 100% all about football because that's when Miami's been most successful, uh, when players actually care and, and they take responsibility for their own actions and, you know, you just you haven't seen that the past two, three years from this program. The one name that we've heard uh, recently since our last episode is Keith Heckendorf. He is a disciple of Larry Fedora at North Carolina. 
Uh, Kelvin and I, you and I were talking about this off the air. You like Heckendorf and you like Fedora's scheme as a better fit than David Yost, who I think a lot of fans like. You want to explain why? Yeah, if you go back and look at the scheme that Larry Fedora ran, it um, it had everything fans wanted. Motion, uh, crossing routes, vertical passing game, tempo, but it also included the tight end quite a bit and it also had downhill running in it and uh you know offensive linemen who were able to get to the second level on backers and if you look at the two teams two of the three teams who um are dominant right now ohio state clemson uh, LSU kind of ran that scheme for a long time where it was downhill and throw deep. And it's been a little bit more spread out this year because, well, they've got better personnel than anybody. They've got, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner, all SEC back, top offensive line, top receiving core. So what LSU's doing is unrealistic. But if you look at Clemson's scheme, it is a downhill running scheme. And... Um, they throw vertical routes. They don't necessarily use their tight end, but and neither does Ohio State, but they run downhill and there is a um there's an incorporation for tight end play. They just you know, Clemson has got two two thoroughbreds on the outside that they've kind of um gotten away from the base of what they did when they had Hunter Renfro and um a couple of the other slot guys because the slot guy was a little bit more prevalent. But, you know, Heckendorf can come in here and it's already set up. You got, you know, you got uh, Brevin Jordan, you got Will Mallory, and, you know, in in a sense, you could make Will Mallory a big slot and you could kind of go mm-hmm. a two tight end set where he could be an H-back, a slot back. You can go four wide outs with him and Brevin Jordan. And you can still run the ball because nobody's going to win a national title without a running game. And I think that's what that system gives us. David Yost is more air raid type. um, Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of up tempo style, which is what I think based on what Manny Diaz said on the radio yesterday uh, in his conversation with Joe Rose was uh he wants up-tempo. He wants to get the other defense tired. So I could see more elements. Even if Heckendorf doesn't run a lot of up-tempo, I think he could see him implementing some of that. Well, yeah, but the bigger thing is, and in my raid, my tirade, and your, you know what you're saying, if the guys don't pick up the offense, it don't really matter. And you can only simplify yeah. your offense so much. But when you're not getting off jams or you're not creating separation, that kind of limits what you can do as a play caller. And I think that's what's being missed here. At some point, players got to be accountable for their own actions. I don't care how bad the coaching is. You don't. You can outplay bad coaching. You know, it's it's happened a lot. There's a lot of there are a lot of average coaches who got championships because. Um, they had great players. No disrespect to this guy, but Larry Coker's one of them. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we got to, you know, 
I hold the coaching accountable because there's definitely some things we we can do uh, schematically. But as a player, you got to have some personal pride. And I was talking to some other friends of mine who coach right now, and it ain't just UM. It is systematic. This generation of player is soft mm-hmm. and entitled. And part of it is um, I think the adults – have allowed the uh, some of the coaching the coaches have allowed it to get like that because of the pressure that's on them, and you know when yep. you sacrifice your principles, at some point it comes back to haunt you, and now the tail yep. is wagging the dog all over the place, especially with this transfer portal. Yep. Well, it's a great great transition to Lorenzo Lingard and that topic as you bring up the transfer portal. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here because I got to go and do a radio show as well that I had scheduled. So we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, number one, uh, Lorenzo Lingard entering the transfer portal did not shock me at all. As I reported throughout the season, going down to the field, watching his body language, uh, you know, the kid tried to run out onto the field for a kickoff return uh, in the bowl game and Eric Hickson had to pull him off. No matter what Manny Diaz or any head coach tells the media, the reality is, you just got to study kids and their body language. This kid was fed up. He wanted to play, wasn't playing here. And I know fans are upset that a five-star is leaving the program. But the reality is sometimes it's just better to part ways. And, Kelvin, I know you were you and I were talking off the air about this yesterday. Seems like he's probably going to end up at the University of Florida with his cousin, Avante Williams. Uh, it's close to his house. And I know there's a family situation as far as father's health. Uh, do, you, do you have anything to share on it? Yeah, it's either going to be Florida Central Florida because the way the rule, in order for him to play next year and get the waiver, you have to be within 150 miles. The school has to be within 150 miles of your home. And on Orlando, the only schools that I think will qualify are uh, USF, UCF, Florida, and Bethune. And we know Bethune is out of mm-hmm. the question. So, uh, or, or Stetson, right. of course, because Stetson is right here. So, um, I expect to see him at Florida next year, maybe Central Florida. And there's probably a good chance he'll get the waiver. I don't know the situation with his father. But I wish the kid, you know, the best of luck. Um, he wasn't a bad kid. He wasn't a distraction. He didn't uh he wasn't a cancer. He was he was liked. It's just like you said, sometimes it just don't work out. I mean the knee injury set him back and for whatever reason I think you know, first of all, the knee injury was a lot worse than um I think most people know and I just seems like to me they were being they were being cautious and I think well on top of that he came to Manny and said he he wasn't right and then I guess at that point you know they just decided to err on the side of caution my one thing I'll say is we were going into spring practice with a new offensive coordinator and if you're better than those other guys, um, it's going to show up. Now, I mean, you know, it's a new age, new day and age. I get it. You got two young freshmen coming in. They hungry. Uh, and they're from the South Florida area. So, realistically, he probably was the outsider. But I would have liked to have seen him stay and compete. But it is what it is. And I know, Mike, you you're – pretty happy to see the way cam harris responded uh, on social media to lorenzo lingard's announcement 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess we were just talking about the attitude and culture of this program, and I think not. I I didn't. I guess like the fact that he it was kind of a direct shot at Lingard, mm-hmm. but it was kind of the right attitude where, you know, when times get tough, you you don't quit on on guys. You know, you go to battle with. You, you continue to fight, and you can t- continue to show that you're dedicated to this. And I, I guess that's that's kind of the right attitude you're, you're looking for, especially when times are tough like this. Well, guys. I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you both for coming on and doing this latest installment of the Wide Right Pod. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, Manny underscore Navarro. I will be tweeting out any news as it comes across my wire. And just for you listeners to know, I spoke to Alonzo Highsmith last night, changed text messages with him, spoke to big time boosters and donors at the school. Uh, Kelvin and I talked quite a bit, and I know he's well tapped in, so... I may not be writing a ton of stories on all that's going on, but I'm certainly following it and pretty well knowledgeable as far as what's really happening. So um, stay tuned to The Athletic. Follow me on Twitter, and we'll be back soon with another edition of the Wide Right Pod to discuss everything that's going on at the U. First two, knock them out, then uh, it's on me.